Hey, good morning, Graceland family and friends. My name is Nate. I serve as a husband, dad, and one of the pastors here alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley. We're continuing our series in the book of James that we've been in the month of June and for a couple more months. And we're in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, looking at the big idea, saving faith works. Saving faith works, which means that unsaving faith or faith that does not bring about forgiveness of sins does not work, but a saving faith works and lives a life of good works. So that's the big idea that I want you to glean as well as the title of the sermon. Now, several years ago, I was a pastor in Phoenix and there was a, a gal by the name of Nicole. I've asked for their permission to share this story. And she had a husband named Michael. Um, unfortunately, Michael had not been around for quite some time. And there was one last ditch effort to appeal to Michael about reconciling with his bride, Nicole. He came into my office. I was there with another one of our leaders and we exchanged some pleasantries and getting to know one another. And I began to ask him about his relationship with Jesus. And he unequivocally said, I'm a believer in Jesus. And I said, well, why? What constitutes being a believer in Jesus? And he pointed back to a decision he had made when he was younger, when he lived in Ohio. And then I proceeded to press him ever so graciously and tactfully. And I said, well, what's going on in your life now that communicates a fellowship and allegiance to Jesus? And he said, not a whole lot. I said, I, I think that's right. In fact, six years ago, you abandoned your wife. You abandoned your three young boys. She had no uh, means to make an income. Uh, the church had to come alongside her and essentially treat her like a widow because you were MIA, nowhere to be found. In fact, they couldn't even deliver divorce papers um, to Michael because they didn't have a correct mailing address. He was uh, a little perturbed at our pressing in on his life and adamantly said, no, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. But the Bible goes on to say that he who does not take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. So what happened to Michael. How did the conversation end or how did that relationship cultivate? Well, you have to stay tuned. I'll share that at the very end of the sermon. But we're looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Here's a quote I want to share with you. Salvation does not produce an immediate perfection, but a new direction. The new, the new disposition that hates sin, loves the Lord, and seeks to know Him and obey His will begins to manifest itself in behavior begins to manifest itself in real behavior. So what does real faith look like? A lot of people in our lives exemplify what we see in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 for us. So if you have your copy of God's word, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens or you can turn to your phone. But here is God's word to you and God's word to me. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What does real faith look like? Saving faith works. A lot of us know people like what we read about in James chapter 2. They accept the human diagnosis of 
the human condition. They accept the long-standing teachings of Jesus. They're moral people. They're nice people. They're family. They're friends. They're our neighbors. And yet there's something off about their lives. There's no real sacrifice to follow Jesus. There, there's no desire to align their lives or their marriage or their finances or their parenting or their vocation or their affections or their desires to the person and the work of Jesus. It's a hard question. What does saving faith look like? There's an apprehensiveness in our hearts to determine or talk about saving Faith will say things such as, so long as people believe, that's what really matters. And I 100% agree with that statement. The problem is we need to define and explain and describe biblically what saving faith looks like. And that is a recurring theme in the epistle of James. Saving faith over against non-saving faith. Now, let me give you a little bit of a recap thus far. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 21, we read about how the implanted word, the gospel message, is able to save your soul. Verse 22 of chapter 1, we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, religion, true religion, shows itself in action, controls the tongue, cares for widows and orphans. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we see that true religion, a saving faith, actually has uh, a care and concern for the poor, a compassion for the poor. James opens up this, quest, this passage in chapter 2, verse 14 with the question, what good is it or what is the benefit, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he or she has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Or more plainly, another way to describe that question, does the kind of faith that affirms the basic teaching of the Bible but produces no distinctly Christian deeds save? And the answer, of course, James gives to us, there is a faith that does not save. This is the high point, the, the climax of, Jesus's, of James's epistle. He wants his readers to know this truth, and I want you to know this truth as well, that saving faith works. In fact, he makes the case four different times. Chapter 2, verse 14, that I just read, verse 17, verse 20, and verse 26. And what James does, he gives us four case studies, if you will, or illustrations to propound this point that saving faith works. Now, illustrations are like windows in a house. They help you see inside. Now, just a little transparency here. I love driving through my neighborhood at night. I don't do this uh, without going somewhere, but if I'm coming home, I love driving through my neighborhood and looking in people's houses that have their blinds open to kind of peer inside. What's going on? What show are they watching? Um, what's, their, what's their living room look like? Um, who's in there? And so illustrations in the Bible are like windows in a house, on a house, that help us see inside the author's argument. And so James gives us four illustrations, four case studies, if you will. He says, faith without deeds of compassion is a dead faith. Demons believe and shudder, but they have a useless faith. Abraham's act of faith demonstrates a live faith. And Rahab, the prostitute, her actions demonstrated an active faith. So I want to write those down on this board for you. One, a dead faith. Two, a useless faith. 
Three, an act of faith. And four, a real faith. And really, three and four kind of go together. A dead faith, a useless faith, an active faith, and a real faith. So let's walk through these ever so briefly. Now, just as a preface, this is provocative language. You could say James is poking the bear, as we might say in a cultural expression. And in churches, I don't believe humbly we have enough of this type of language that is in the Bible. Saving faith works. It's not saving faith should work. We hope that saving faith might materialize in good deeds. James says saving faith will work. That's the theme of James and in particular this section. And I think this passage has the capacity by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life to shake us to the core and wake us up from what some may be experiencing, a spiritual stupor or slumber. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you're in person with some friends or family members and, and you think, well, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine, but I want you to take a moment to examine yourself and ask, do I have saving faith? You say, that sounds a little judgy. It sounds a little condemning. It doesn't sound loving and kind. Well, we'll get to that here in just a moment. But first, a dead faith that James talks about. He says in verses 14 through 17, someone is lacking clothes. It's not that they were naked, but they probably just had an inner tunic. And the inner tunic was, was ragged and worn and probably not keeping them warm. They lacked food. And, and what the person in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 27 does, they say something like this, go, I wish you well, or go in peace. It was a common biblical blessing. And the problem is, it is a religious cover for inaction. You be warm, you be well fed, but I ain't engaging in your life. It's a faith that is not moved to compassion. Some contemporary illustrations would be, uh, you have an unemployed friend. They're struggling financially mightily. You know it. You have the means to help, but you instead send a text or see them in the lobby at your particular church or wherever you might be, and you say, hang in there, God's going to provide. Or a single mother who has several kids and is working multiple jobs. She gets sick and her kids get sick, and you say, hey, we're thinking of you. I hope things get better. But there's no movement, no compassion, no action. In that particular moment, what James is saying Saving faith that works is moved because it's alive. It's not dead. It, it's moved. It's alive and wants to have deeds of compassion, which is why we do things like Grace Station and the dental clinic. We want to go out beyond our geographical borders to help people in needs because our churches comprise of people who have saving faith, alive faith. We know we got to press it out among our borders. Case two is this useless faith. You've got the demons who believe and shudder. They're orthodox. They believe Jesus is the unique son of God. They're monotheists. They believe in one God, and yet they have not transferred that knowledge into an embracing, a trusting, a reliance upon Jesus. And that is a useless faith, James says. Case three is the account of 
Abraham. You probably know the story of Abraham if you've been in church any amount of time. If you're a guest or unchurched, real quick summary of Abraham. Abraham is seen by many people as uh, a patriarch, a forefather, uh, one of the most religious, uh, righteous men in biblical history. And he was given a promise that you're going to have a son and you're going to have multitudes of generations are going to follow in your lineage. And he was a really old dude. His wife was really old. And he says, God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a child. My wife's really old. How can this happen? Well, the story is Sarah has a son named Isaac and God gives Abraham a test. He says, I want you to go up on the mountain. And I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. And as he's about to sacrifice his son, Abraham knew and we read later in Hebrews chapter 11, if Isaac's life is taken, I know God can bring his life back. So as he's about to sacrifice his son, a story, and explanation that would probably warrant some time from another day, an angel cries out, stop! We know that you really reverence and fear and trust in God. He's a righteous man. His faith was active. There was action to his faith. It was alive. It was real, genuine, sincere. And then we come to this last illustration, Rahab. Now, James has his audience hook, line, and sinker with the use of Abraham. Many regarded him, as I said, the most righteous man in history. But James's audience, and maybe you and I, may not be so receptive to his next illustration of genuine faith. Rahab was a Canaanite, a foreigner, a disreputable prostitute, an intellectual assent Merely believing the things in her head would not have been sufficient. But she had a real, active faith. A little summary. Prior to Rahab, the Israelites had escaped Egypt. They were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. They finally come to Canaan. They're going to uh, conquer Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. Joshua sends in spies to evaluate the city. And they go and uh, to Rahab's house, no one would have questioned guests or visitors to Rahab's house because she was a prostitute, if you get my drift. King, the king of Jericho, hears about that, says Rahab, present the spies. She uh, disavows herself of their mission. She diverts the men down the road, and these Israelites escape through the outer wall of her house, and they go back and tell Joshua. What happened? She aligned herself with Israel rather than her own people as she was convinced that their God reigned over heaven and earth. Her faith was active and useful to the people around her. Dead faith, a useless faith, an active faith, and a real faith. Saving faith works. Now, just a real quick summary. I want to appeal to you that Paul, the Apostle Paul, and James, they agree. I don't have time to talk about all the nuances and all the distinctions, but let me give you some scriptural examples. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 2, 10. Paul says, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man, woman, boy, or girl can boast. And God has prepared good works as we are his workmanship that he created before and that we would walk in good works. Saving faith produces and lives a life of good works. James's audience is the person who takes pride in their knowledge and thinks because of their past record, their heritage, their attendance, that they're fine. It's the person who says, leave me alone. I'm already a Christian. I'm a decent person. I attend church. I believe. But James is urging his audience, as he's urging you, as he's urging me, self-examination. Does your faith 
manifests itself in your life. You say, that sounds really judgy. You say, we're not supposed to judge. Wrong. The Bible in Matthew 7 is probably one of the, the second most quoted verse. Judge no one lest you be, say it with me, online, in your room, lest you be judged. What Jesus is doing, he's giving a prescription on how to judge righteously. Before you judge and evaluate and bring a word to someone else, get the plank out of your own eye. And this is what James is doing. He's urging his audience to examine their lives. Paul, by contrast, is writing primarily to individuals who have no clear ideas about God and only secondarily to Jewish Christians who were perhaps confused about the relationship between faith and works. But James is writing to people who are believers and I've got a background of religious beliefs and their trust and their reliance is in that rather than in the living Christ. Fast forward to my conversation with Michael. I looked at Michael and my friend Kevin, and we graciously but forthrightly said, you should have no assurance that, you've, that you're saved, that you're forgiven. You abandoned your wife six years ago. You abandoned your kids. You essentially left them hopeless. I don't know why you have this courage and this belief that you're okay with God when God has given us very specific commands and prescriptions. And it was an amicable conversation. He came back several weeks later after reading a book, and here's what he said. I am not a Christian. As I've looked at my life, I realized I have deceived myself into thinking because I quote unquote said a prayer or made a decision when I was younger, it has not materialized in my life. I've been around religious things. I know the Bible. I know the nuances and rhythms of church, but I have not been transformed by the good news of Jesus. Salvation does not produce immediate perfection, but a new direction. It's a new disposition that hates sin, loves Jesus, and seeks to know Jesus and obey His will, which will show itself in the decisions that you make and the way that you live. You say, Nate, I don't like that word. That is James's word to you and to me. And perhaps there's someone watching right now or you've been going through all the motions and yet you've not been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Right now where you are, you can turn from your sins and cry out, Jesus, will you save me? And the Bible says you'll be changed by the Holy Spirit. You'll have forgiveness of sins and you'll have an active faith, a real faith that will be lived out in your life. But there are perhaps others that have been sitting and listening maybe for weeks, months, years, decades, and there is not an allegiance and a love and a sacrifice and an obedience. And you perhaps might have a dead faith. You've not been awakened. I pray as we read and study and think about James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, my appeal to you is this. Saving faith works. It doesn't bring about salvation, but because we have salvation and rescue, we've been changed, we want to live our life to please Jesus, knowing we slip up, knowing that we struggle, but we're not saved because of what we do, because of what has been done by Jesus. And when we receive that in our life, it compels us to live not for ourselves, but for Jesus and our neighbor.